Welcome, and thank you for listening today. This Caregiver Life podcast focuses on caregivers from all walks of life. Throughout the episode, we will hear from caregivers on the front line, those who do the day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour caregiving. We will also hear from care recipients, professionals in the field of caregiving, and other various topics of interest to those living this caregiver life. I'm the big C. What is the big C? I'm here to tell you about skin cancer. Skin cancer is the cancer you can see. If we see something new, changing, or unusual, that could be skin cancer. Is there a skin cancer on me right now? I'm not a dermatologist, but do you know who is? Yeah. Your dermatologist. Yes. You gotta get checked, girl. Do I? Yes! Everybody has to get checked. See the big C today. Okay, well, welcome to another episode of This Caregiver Life podcast. My co-host, Jennifer... Jenkins, Jennifer McIndae is now Jennifer Jenkins. She's recently been married, is not able to be with us today, but we have a guest, Dr. Naomi Baum. And I have just a little blurb to read about Naomi, and then I'll ask Naomi to tell us a little bit more in detail. Naomi is a psychologist and consultant in the field of trauma and resilience building. She does this globally. Um, In the last two decades, she's dedicated herself to creating and implementing resilience building programs for those exposed to trauma, whether it's terrorism, war, or natural disaster. And on this caregiver life, sometimes our lives as caregivers feels like a disaster. And I feel like Naomi Naomi is a great guest for us to have today. So welcome, Naomi. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad that you could be with us. I I did take a peek at your website, and I'm going to put the link to the website um, in the show notes. And you said we've it's a you've kind of had a new facelift for your website, so I'm anxious to look at it. Um, I do see that you are published author. Would you like to tell us a little bit about the books that you have? Sure. My most my most recent book is called "Is Resilience: What Israelis Can Teach the World." Um, one of the things you didn't mention is that I live in Israel, and I've lived in Israel for um, more than 30 years. Um, and I co-wrote this book with uh, Michael Dixon. We interviewed 14 people who we felt demonstra- had, had very interesting and challenging life stories. Um, and we tried to examine what were the keys to their resilience because these people are all very resilient. And we try to get really a cross-section. We have men and women, old and young, um, Jewish, Arab, black, white, religious, non-religious. We really try to get, you know, we try to cover everything. (laughs) And, um, but most interesting are the stories, the actual human stories of uh, what people, have gone through. Uh, for example, we have um, Rabbi Lau, who was a child Holocaust survivor, uh, lost his entire family, and went on to to make an incredible life for himself. Uh, we interviewed Natan Sharansky, who was a prisoner of Zion in the uh, Soviet Gulag for I can't remember if it was eleven or fourteen years, and then. Um, 
was finally released, we have the story of uh, Shula Mula, who is an Ethiopian um, woman who uh, made the trek through Sudan and um, it, it really just incredible stories, each one. And we try to analyze what are the keys to resilience so that people can really try to figure out what they can use in their own lives, what we can learn from these stories. It's not only what we can learn from Israelis, but what we can learn from them as human beings and bring into our own lives as we meet different challenges. Wow, well, that sounds like such a great book. I'm going to pick up a copy for myself. Um, resilience. I see that Jennifer. I see that Jennifer joined us. I do. I see that she joined us as well. Yeah. Hi, Jen. Hi. You guys caught me. I'm so sorry for being late. That's okay. Welcome anyway. <laughs> I'm just out here, you know, living this caregiver life, being late to stuff. That's what we do. Um, so Naomi, this is Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. <laughs> so nice to to be meet you as we're doing these days, and and thank you for joining our show. I know resiliency and trauma recovery is so prevalent in our community, and it's something that we need to talk, keep talking about. Absolutely. And yeah. um, so Naomi, I have I have a question for you, um, and then there's a couple of questions that come off of that. What brought you to resiliency work? Okay, so that's a, that's a great question. Um, I was a school psychologist. I've been a psychologist, it feels like forever. <laughs> I, I got my master's degree this, in 1978 and my doctorate in 82. So I've, and I started practicing in 78, so I can't even do the math. <laughs> it's 45, 46, something like, I don't know how many years but um, a long time. And, and for many years, I was a school psychologist and I worked with uh, schools and early childhood. School psychology is a little bit different in Israel than it is in the States. It's not only testing, but it's also a lot of consulting, a lot of working with uh, in-services for teachers and uh, parent groups and lots of fun and interesting stuff. And I really enjoyed the work, but after about many years, I guess about 18 or 20 years of, of doing this work. Um, I was teaching also at the same time uh, at uh, various teachers colleges in Israel. I, I was getting a little tired and one day I uh, walked into the teacher's room of one of the colleges where I was teaching and I saw an advertisement for a fellowship program. And the fellowship program, wow, it sounded like a dream. Two years of full scholarship to sit and study and think about things and basically for me it was to take a rest. I was tired. I was working really hard. Two jobs, seven kids. I was really kind of tired. <laughs> so I applied for the program knowing very little bit about it except that uh, if I that you needed to have a master's degree and you had to be under 45 at the time. I think they've changed it since. But you had, at that time, you had to be under 45. I was 44 and a half. And the, the last day to apply for the program was the next day. So I had just by chance seen this, this poster and I decided, okay, I'm taking off a day of work to apply because it was a long application process. I had no idea that hundreds of people applied for 20 spots. 
I think if I had known that, I would never have applied. But I didn't know anything about the program except that they were going to pay me not to work for two years. I thought, yeah, this is great. So in in the end, I got into the program, and it was a wonderful program. But mostly, it was a wonderful two years, a chance to take a pause mid-career and think about what I wanted to do next. And right at that same time, this is the, the, it was September 2000, September, we started September 1st. I told you we start school in Israel on September 1st. So the program started September 1st, 2000. And September 9th, um, the, what we call the second intifada uh, broke out. And that's when a t- it was a time in Israel that was very difficult. Um, so a lot of suicide bombers, roadside shootings, uh, violence against the civilian population. It was really a difficult time in Israel. And I lived in a particularly sensitive place that was really under fire. And I felt like I had uh, kind of left my, um, my, uh, it's, it, I, I, I'm thinking of the term in Hebrew. This is what happens after having lived in Israel so long. You know, the the military term, you, you leave your position. It's not called a position. You leave your, what's it called? <laughs> um, your post. Your post, right, right, right. So I felt like, you know, I had abandoned, you know, the soldiers in the field because there were my colleagues working very, very hard. And I'm here in this ivory tower, and it really was an ivory tower. So I, I was feeling pretty bad about that. And I spoke to um, the director of our program, who was a very wise woman, and she said, listen, you are in a very unique position. You have a lot of experience, and now you have a lot of resources and time. Most of the people out there in the field have no time. They're busy, 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 busy scurrying around. You have the time to see what's missing. What do people need? What is the system not doing? And I really took that as a challenge and decided to focus on um, the educational system of Israel, looking to see how they were dealing with this terrible onslaught of civilian violence. And what I recognized was that in Israel, we were very good at dealing with immediate response with crisis, with something happening, with disaster, what was happening. We were very good on day one, on day two, on day three. But by the end of the week, everything was cleaned up and pushed under the carpet and forgotten about, and it was back to normal and back to regular. And I said, and and I knew that uh, basically there were a lot of people walking around suffering. And what we needed to do is pick up that carpet and look to see what was underneath it. And what was underneath it was anxiety and fear, a lot of fear. There was sadness, there was loss. And and, um, that is when I really developed the concept of building resilience and focused on building, first of all, personal resilience. And I thought um, I wanted to work with kids, but the way to work with kids is to work with the adults in the children's environment. So the idea was to work with teachers, caretakers, parents, training them in basic mental health, helping them talk with their kids about things that they were afraid to talk about. How do you talk about death? How do you talk about fear? What do you do with all this? But first you have to deal with it yourself. 
Because if you're not dealing it with yourself, how are you going to deal with it with kids? So, and that is how I developed the Building Resilience Program. So this is this goes back to 2001. And if you look at the research literature now, the word resilience, resiliency, resilience, it's all over the place. You almost want to puke when you hear the word resilience. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but um, back then it was not a word that was used at all, hardly. There were three researchers who used the term resilience um, in the 80s and the 90s. And I based my model on their work. I scoured the research literature. I interviewed people. I looked at what was going on. And I said, this is the term. This is the term I want to use. And it wasn't a term that was well used. So I consider it a major success that everybody has picked up on my term. (laughs) I'm not only one who used the term, but I really was one of the first. And um, I remember uh, my boss, who was a clinical psychologist. Um, After I finished the fellowship program, I went on to work in a trauma center in Israel, um, a fairly prominent trauma center. My boss was a clinical psychologist, and he never got that resilience stuff. He always said, ah, this resilience, this this isn't the real thing. The real thing is trauma. And I would always say to him, trauma is important. Trauma is the tip of the iceberg, but trauma gets a lot of attention. And we can deal with night, if we bring our resilience building programs to populations, we can deal with 95% of the people, 90% of the people. Most people don't need psychotherapy. There are some that do, no doubt about it. And depending on level of exposure and amount of resource, you know, there's so many uh, factors that go into that. But um, the um, my, my I've always been a community-minded psychologist, um, not a clinical psychologist. I want to help as many people as I can, and I really believe that bringing re- this resilience work to communities helps. So we started off with schools. Uh, early childhood, elementary schools, high schools, and then moved on to paramedics, volunteers, nurses, um, uh, uh, you name it, pastors, rabbis. I have a meeting right after this with uh, a whole bunch of pastors from Brooklyn, New York. Um, So this, this concept and this idea has really gone very far and very wide. Um, and I really take it, the, the, the fact that they're, you know, every other, you know, resilience is just such a common word now. Everybody uses it. Uh, I, I think to myself every once in a while, I think I got to think of a new concept to make it a little bit catchier. But, but really, I, I believe in it so much that mostly we human beings are resilient. And um, some of us need a little tweaking, a little support. We need to learn a few things to help our resilience, but we have the, cap- the capacity and the capability of being uh, resilient human beings and facing incredible challenges and getting through them. Naomi, can you define resilience? Because we do hear that word so often, but really, right. what does it what does it mean? I actually, I'll I'll sandwich in a few questions that maybe you can address as you talk okay. about that. Okay. Which is, can we define resilience? Are we born with resilience? If we're not, can we learn it? And if we have it, what happens if we lose it? Like, can we get it back? And why do we lose it? So that's a lot. But if you can 
kind of give us an explanation of those things. I think that would be great for our caregivers because I think we hear that a lot, but we don't know how to put it into perspective into our lives and and how to actively use it for ourselves. And if we don't feel resilient, how can we become that? Right. So resilience isn't a monolithic term that you either have or you don't have. Uh, That's the first thing. I think everybody has the capability to be resilient. And um, a single definition you won't find. Psychologists have a very hard time agreeing on what resilience is. Resilience, initially the word comes from the field of metallurgy um, and uh, what where the under where it comes from is a, um, looking at how much stress you can put on various materials and how much they can bend uh, with that stress. So iron can bend X amount and, and uh, plastic can bend Y amount. How much can a material bend and come back to its original state? How much stress can it bear and come back to its original state? And, and that term is borrowed um, with the understanding that when we're looking at human beings, we're talking about how much can people bear and keep going, uh, come back to their original state. Sometimes we talk about bouncing back. More often, I like to talk about bouncing forward because I think people never return to exactly who they were. But, you know, this is talking about resilience after a single traumatic event, which is different than talking about resilience in the life of a caretaker, because the single traumatic event may upend your life. It could be Hurricane Ida. It could be um, some kind of big physical injury. Um, It could be um, a terrorist attack. It, It could be a war could be so many different things but for different people but it's a single traumatic event and usually it's finished it's gone it's over and what do you do how do you come back to yourself you've kind of uh reacted you have all sorts of reactions how do you come back to yourself how do you bounce back or bounce forward when you're talking about um, the caretaker life or being a caretaker you're talking about being under high levels of stress for very long periods of time. And that is similar in some ways to experiences, for example, I think about um, people who live in the south of Israel who are have been under either the constant threat or actual rocket acts for 20 years. You know, it's ongoing. Sometimes there's more, sometimes there's less, but it's always kind of around. It's hovering. It's either the actual rocket attacks or it's the threat of rocket attacks or it's your own fear and anxiety that something bad is going to happen. How do you live with that for such a long period of time? And I think in the caretaking life, um, you folks are really dealing with high levels of stress um, lots of uncertainty, lots of lack of control. A lot, in, in some ways, it's quite similar to you know, post-traumatic environments or disaster environments. Um, there are a lot of similarities, but there are differences. And I think that um, the concept of resilience is absolutely appropriate because um, 
the idea is that there are skills that you can build and practice that can help you um, deal with the uncertainty, deal with the unknown, deal with the lack of control, deal with the anxiety, the sadness, the loss. There are skills that you can actually learn that will help you with this. Um, the, um, in, in our book, Is Resilience, um, what we focused on were three keys to resilience. They're by no means the only keys, but we decided that we would focus on these three and they are major keys. One of them is um, flexibility. Um, and that's certainly understanding um, and developing that understanding that if one avenue doesn't work, it's closed, it's not the right way. How do we shift? How do we help ourselves understand that we, we don't want to get stuck, that there are lots of options? Um, and, and we saw in our stories in our book is resilience. We saw, you know, people who kind of shifted mid-course. Um, we had a story of um, somebody who was severely injured um, in um, in a helicopter, uh, a helicopter went down. He basically fell out of the sky and he became paraplegic. He eventually ended up becoming a Paralympic gold medalist um, in a sport that he had never played before. Um, and and the amazing thing is, um, you know, it's like it takes a lot of flexibility to change mid-course. You have a plan for your life, you're doing something, you're going along in a certain way, and then all of a sudden, you know, life takes a U-turn. How do you keep up with that U-turn? And, 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 you know, you have to be flexible. You might argue that to be a caretaker, you have to be flexible. But I would think, and you are much bigger experts than I am on caretaking, um, so you tell me, um, it seems to me the more flexible you are, um, the more you can go with the flow and try new things and be open, the better it is, rather than getting stuck and thinking, this is the way it has to be, this is the way I want it to be, and kind of butting your head up against, against the wall even when it's not working. Flexibility would be one major key to resilience. Um, a second one is we called it empathy, but really it's it's um, learning how to talk about feelings, our own feelings, communicating feelings, being open to my own feelings, being empathic to myself and and hearing other people's feelings as well. And some some people are more adept at this than others. Some people have better uh, listening skills, listening to themselves, listening to other people. And, you know, the, what we what we did um, if one of the places where that I've worked is with the Center of Mind Body Medicine, and and in the work of the center, um, there's a lot of work that's really listening, learning how to listen to ourselves, to slow down and listen to what's going on, and using different tools, whether it be writing or drawing or moving. Um, there's a lot of different ways and skills that we can um, access our feelings. So that would be the second key that we talk about in our book. And the third key that we talked about, which I think is critical and very often gets lost in the discussion of, of resilience is meaning making, um, how we make meaning out of our lives. And I think that this is particularly pertinent for caretakers because you are dedicating your lives to taking care of a loved one. 
Um, the more meaning you can make out of this, the better you are. I mean, because if you just say, well, it's changing diapers or it's um, spooning food in or, you know, the, the very menial and difficult caretaking tasks, well, that will grind you down. But if you say, or if you think, or if you're able to access that notion that you're doing something very important and your heart is open to this person who, you know, you love and who you built a beautiful life together and you had a family together and on and on and on, then that gives it much more meaning. It gives it much more depth. Now, it's not always easy to access that, but there are in the in the building resilience programs that i developed there are ways that we try to access this meaning making looking at what meaning is there and what i do and and also looking at the concept of hope which really goes hand in hand with meaning so those are the three keys that we talk a lot about in the book there are more <laughs> those aren't the only ones i would say that the probably the most important one that we did not spend a huge amount of time talking about, but it sort of underlies everything is social support, how much support you get, whether it be from family, from friends, from even your podcast. I mean, your podcast here is social support. You guys are supporting other caretakers in a very, in a very meaningful way. And we know social supports are so important. If you're out there alone, it is so difficult. Um, and the more you can access and be open to support, um, the better off you are, the more resilient you will be. So you can have, there are always, you know, human beings are dynamic. There's always movement. You're never at exactly the same level of resilience and you can feel worn out and burnt out and, and like, oh, I've had it. And then you go back and say, okay, what do I need to do for myself? How do I take care of myself? And I think that in the caretaking life, you really, really, really need to work on self-care. You really need to find time to take care of yourself and protect that resilience because it, it doesn't happen by itself. It really needs to be protected. Well, well, thank you so much. I know that was, that was great. And I know that you have to go. You have a meeting in a, in a few minutes. I, right? I have a few more minutes. So okay. you get, you get question okay well I'm going to turn over to Jen and see if uh, you have another question and just be mindful of Naomi's time thanks I, I think the biggest struggle for me as a caregiver was um, forgiving myself when I have uh, when I look under my rug and I see feelings that aren't uh, that aren't becoming like resentment and I wonder what you might say to somebody who's feeling that way. Right now, I feel super blessed and thankful and supported in so many ways. And um, But there are definitely times in my caregiver history where I have those feelings, and then I, and then I have enormous feelings of guilt. And so right. I, I'm wondering what you would say about that. Right. So I think, I, I think that's a great question. Um, and I think that... Um, that notion of listening to yourself and understanding that you're you're allowed to feel that way and you're not going to feel that way forever and it doesn't mean that you're a bad person and it doesn't mean that you're uh it's you're not even unusual in other words i think getting it out there and sharing that with other caretakers you're going to hear that a lot of other people have the same feelings 
and knowing that you're not alone with it can be very helpful. Um, and one of, one of the um, questions people would always ask um, is like, well, if I open up, uh, if I open myself up and look to see what's there and I see that those dark places, those places where I don't really want to be, I don't really want to go there. I'm, I'm, and you're telling me that really what I need to do is explore those too. I'm afraid I'm going to get stuck there. And what I would always say is that you won't get stuck. People don't, rarely, rarely, really people don't get stuck in those places because life is so dynamic. You can cry one minute and laugh the next minute or cry one hour. You can cry for a whole hour. You can cry for five hours. And then after that, you move back. And if you shut off those feelings, if you don't let yourself feel those things that you think are maybe bad feelings, whether it be um, it's not fair or was it me or, oh, I wish he would, I don't even know. You can, you can tell me what the feelings are because <laughs> you've been there. But if, if, um, if you allow yourself to feel those feelings, then you'll also allow yourself to feel the other feelings, the joy, the love, the gratitude. And if you shut off a certain amount of feelings, if you absolutely put walls up, what happens is that those walls go up everywhere and you just become kind of detached from feeling. And, and that's much sadder to be detached from feeling altogether. Sometimes that happens to us. It happens to people that they get detached because they are so overwhelmed and sometimes you need a companion or a partner or a therapist sometimes you do to join you to join with you on that journey to explore those feelings that does happen i'm not saying that uh, resilience building solves all problems for all people all the time i there are certainly people i mean that's why that's how many of us make a living, <laughs> by accompanying people on this journey to look at what's going on, to pick up the carpet, to see what's underneath. Because it is scary. It is scary. But it, I, I know that you know, and, and I'm sure if you've participated in support groups or even in your work in the podcast, you know that a lot of people have similar kinds of feelings. And knowing that you're not alone can also be extremely helpful. Well, that is always our hope. I appreciate that. And, and, you know, for me, it's been so helpful to have Mary in my life and other caregivers who've taken the time to be with me when I'm under the rug <laughs> until I right. come, right. come back out, you know, because it right. is scary. Right. It is a scary right. place to be, but I, I feel like when you have support, you can, and you know that you're not going there alone, it's, it, it is okay to, to read yeah. it. But I, I think giving yourself permission to do that is so yeah. important. I, I was, um, you know, a lot of times we're asking for forgiveness of, of ourselves and really what we need to do is just give ourselves permission. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I need to move along and uh, it was a pleasure talking with you both. Um, and I'm happy if you want to have me back because I feel like we're kind of right in the middle of the conversation. So I'm happy to come back. <laughs> oh, we would love to have you come back. I would, I would love to go through some more of your keys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get myself a copy of your book. Okay. And then, if you look on Amazon, if you look on Amazon, uh, it's available on Amazon. Okay. Uh, it, 
is resilience. I've written a couple of other books also, a book about uh, breast cancer and a book about, I, I wrote a book about um, losing my mother um, and saying Kaddish for her, which is the Jewish prayer for the, the dead. Um, but basically it's my journey through my year of mourning with my mother, uh, for my mother. So that's another book that I wrote. So you can see all of that on Amazon. Okay, well, I'll put um, links to all those in the show notes and um, we would love Great. to have you back. I think we could do a little, we could do more work on this and our caregivers who are listening and sometimes feel so alone in their journey will really yeah. appreciate hearing more without having okay. to work so hard to find the information for themselves. And uh, if your listeners have questions, they can send them in to you and then we can do some of those perhaps next time as well. Perfect. That would be amazing. Yeah. Well, we're going to continue on with the podcast and, and we'll okay. break you loose because you got another thing that you got to do. And we appreciate you so much, Naomi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to head out. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Hi, Jen. So, so much. Hi, Naomi was chock full of information, but I wanted to, I didn't um, explain this in the beginning of the podcast. Um, so I've done to backtrack a little bit about how Naomi and I um, have met each other. I decided back in May, I guess a little bit, maybe in April or so, I was looking for um, some information on how to handle all the stress I was feeling as a caregiver. And I've been a caregiver, as we know, for a long time, as you have. And Naomi beautifully touched on how we go back and forth with that and up and down with our stress levels and where we are. And <clears throat> I was at a particularly difficult time with stress and I came across a training program for, from the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. It's called Global Professional Program in Mind-Body Medicine. And it was in a whole week, it was pretty a pretty intense week where we did a lot of work on ourselves and then we worked in small groups working on ourselves and then with the group together. And Naomi was the facilitator in my small group. So I got to know her pretty well because we did small group breakouts two or three times each day that we did the training. It was quite a commitment for me, but really was, was fruitful and continues to work for me. It's one of those kind of trainings that seems like, seems overwhelming and that maybe you don't get anything out of it because it's so overwhelming but they provide lots of material and lots of videos after, and you can go back to it. And it's, it's really about working on it continuously, spending time, a little bit of time every day with it, building, truly building a meditation practice for yourself, which is like building muscle. You have meditation muscle, which leads to mindfulness and helps when you're in more stressful situations. Um, and it's not perfect. So I think that's one thing to say to our caregivers is, Anything we ever talk about here, nothing is perfect. You're, you're oh. still going to have to reach sometimes far back in your history to get you to where you are and think about the future to move forward and then dig deep in, in how you're feeling at that moment and um, not be hard on yourself when you lose it. <laughs> I, and I, I'm the most guilty person of that. I'm so hard on myself that people are constantly saying, stop being so hard on yourself. And um, I just, like, I'm beating myself up right now for being late to this podcast. I, I thought it was a, a totally different time than it actually was. And I, I have to let stuff like that go because we 
our support network is a forgiving is a forgiving body. It is an understanding body, especially because we're caregivers. I was thinking about when you started the course and I was like, oh, this is so much for Mayor. Like, I don't want her to be overwhelmed, but it's so good for her at the same time. And you, it was a really exhausting week for you because you did all that. And even, even following it, because you had the aftercare you had to give yourself. And I've seen though, such an enormous, I don't want to say change, but but just an enormous uh, cloud that you have around you now that's that's more happy. It's also more accepting, more, I mean, matter of fact, if that's the right way to say it. Like, I just, I, I see you being really, really honest with yourself and others and about your situation, about your experiences and not being a, I see you like not holding back in any, in any of the feelings, the good feelings, the bad feelings, um, very transformative, uh, just from the outside looking in. No, that's a good observation. That's the way it feels. And I, you know, it's interesting to know that, um, this is not, this was not a program specifically for caregivers. In fact, um, I, I was the only caregiver, I think among the hundreds of participants in it, um, that really identify their life as being very caregiver driven at the time. But they go to all different parts of the world. They deal with like hurricanes and hurricane, you know, people have been in the fires like in California and in war and it's all very trauma related. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many um, effects of stress on your body. And I was concerned about that. I'm 61 years old. I've had some issues with cholesterol and the medications that I take for cholesterol. And um, there's... There's a real studies that have been done on how stress affects our bodies adversely when it comes to things like diabetes and blood pressure and, and cholesterol. You, you have to do something with your stress. There's yeah. no question about it. You can't keep it. eating it. You cannot keep eating it because then it eats you alive. And yeah. um, we're recording this on September 1st. I don't, you know, somebody may listen to this another time of the year, but uh, we're kicking off Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And, um, you know, for me, I let my stress get me to that really dark place where I actually contemplated, what if I didn't exist anymore? What if I took my own life? And um, it's, I did I did exactly what Naomi was talking about. I took all of that feelings and I pushed them under the rug. I felt like if I brought them up with people around me, they wouldn't understand. They would think horrible things about me. And um, thankfully, someone intervened on my behalf and I was able to get the help that I need. And um, in the last nine years, it's been an incredible journey, but I have to go back there from time to time. First, I have to go back there because I'm a public speaker and it's what I talk about in my speech a lot of the times. But also because if I don't, um, I notice a real difference in myself. Like if I'm not reflective about that time, I, I notice myself getting back into that really crummy gray mood and my hats off to you for for making the investment in yourself to say listen i don't i don't want to get there so i'm gonna i'm gonna make the sacrifice right now short term so i have some long-term effects that really benefit me and it's benefiting every you know everyone around you yes i think that's so true and i i think um yeah, you like sort of take a deep dive into that. 
<laughs> as you're sorry, in your, sorry in your job. I mean, you do take a deep dive into that. Like every time you talk about it, it must ignite some different feelings. We have a dog barking now. Hang on here. Well, maybe she's having some um, feelings. Come here, Sophie. Feeling anxious, and you have a a dog who's a bit in transit right now, and um, maybe she's picking up on that. We have we have the lawn is being mowed right now. So this is um, this is the true this caregiver life, okay? <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. I was um, working with some folks um, who, teaching a public speaking class online, and one of the students uh, was tasked with uh, giving a ten minute speech, and she gave a speech about being adopted, and it was just so beautiful. And right in the middle of it, her dog started barking, and all I could think was, "Well, he's adopted too." <laughs> He's trying to join the conversation. Totally understand. And I, I have to tell you, I had that one of those caregiver moments where I felt like, wow, I have tried. I'm trying to hold myself to this really high standard. I'm trying to like not be late, not cancel things, be prepared, and it just gets me every time. It just gets me every time. And. Um, I have, you know, I think I took the deep deep dive because I, I have another event this afternoon where I'll be talking about suicide prevention and maybe that's where my mind was already today. You know, I'd already kind of gone back a little bit. Well, I think yeah. So it's a good topic, really, to wrap up this conversation because I think we should have another conversation about caregiver suicide and maybe. Um, we have some other guests we could bring on as well who would be willing to talk about that. Um, it's, such, it's such an important topic um, in our community and it's not talked about enough for us. And I, I think we both have been in not great places in our life and yet we're still here. So that's our message to our caregivers is to still be here, to try to still be present in their life and if they need some help to be able to find the help for themselves. And we could, we could help with having some other people on the podcast to share that message. That would be wonderful. I was really, really moved by Naomi, by Naomi's experience. I wanted to mention it, um, and we will next time we talk, but the, the kismet of her coming across that flyer in literally the 11th hour of, of the thing that was destined for her to do because the work that she's done is incredible. If you have a chance to order her book, and this is for the listeners, I've already ordered it, but the the topics that she discusses are, they're more than relevant, they're timeless. And um, she's done so much research. We don't have time to do all that research. You know, caregivers, we, we have time to pick up a book and read it in our spare moments, but she's done the hard part and sifted through so many stories and I'm, I'm so moved by her dedication to this topic over so many decades. Yes, I, I was too. I was so glad that she was our facilitator. It could, have been, it could have been anybody. They have some really great facilitators. Um, it could have been anybody, but I was so glad that it was, that it was Naomi because she has such a sensitive heart and she has so much knowledge. She's so giving. Um, and I, I just, I think we could all get so much out of um, the book that she's written and having her on as a guest. I think we could go through some of her, her keys. She had three key points 
and then there'll be more in the book that we could share on on um, our social media and in, in particular our Facebook page because I think we get a lot more traffic on our Facebook page and ask people to talk about um, some of those key points like the flexibility I think as caregivers we know we've talked about that a lot offline but we have not talked about that a lot on the podcast yeah and I I have felt like I can't bend anymore I will I will absolutely be I will be that paper clip that you've just bent and bent and bent until it breaks mm -hmm. and yet here I am and you know and, and yet here you are I, I really liked that example that she gave because we can handle so so much stress and sometimes that break the break we give ourselves is exactly what we need to get you know get our resiliency back you know what it does that make mm -hmm. sense like let's paper clip cool off <laughs> yeah <laughs> i do i like that a lot i also like the idea of um taking it easy on ourselves instead of trying to forgive us instead of looking at it like well i okay i'll forgive myself for that not that you you can't go ahead and do that because we're just human and we'll have our moments but um, avoiding the whole idea of forgiving yourself and just giving giving yourself a break going forward like I can only do so much today yes and I think acknowledging that well maybe today is a really bad day and where I'm going to do my best to make tomorrow a really good day maybe today I was everything was out of control and some things went way wrong and I got really bad news but doesn't mean tomorrow is going to be that way and it doesn't mean that I'm going to let it I'm going to let it beat me down well tomorrow's a new day that's kind of how I go with it <laughs> because I never know what we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring but tomorrow is a new day and hopefully you know I wake up feeling strong and um like I can handle what's coming my way and if I can't that's okay too like it's okay to cry you know Oh, I love that. It is okay to cry. And um, there are a lot of studies that talk about how your tears actually initiate the release of some endorphins. And so, so physiologically, it's actually good to let it out sometimes. So my parting message on this to our caregivers who are, are listening is to find somebody that you can lean on who won't judge you, who will let you just vent if that's what you call it for yourself venting or sharing or whatever it is to let go but find somebody or two people in your life who can allow that without giving you the feedback of things like hey i know you can handle this hey you're stronger than you think all the things that we can't hear at the moment that we're feeling so challenged by what our life is because this caregiver life can be such a challenge and it's okay to not be okay. A hundred percent. I think um, my, my parting words will be, be that friend that, that doesn't feel, that doesn't have to be a, a cheerleader all the time. So it's okay to put slide a little bit of that in. I might do that with you from time to time. It's usually like my last message in a thread. My last message will be like, I don't know if you know that you're a rock star, but you totally are. <laughs> but my other messages might be that really, really sucks. And I hate it. And I, I can't imagine how much you hate it. And let's, we're just going to hate it together. 
<laughs> yeah. because sometimes there's nothing else that can be said, but you, yeah. you know, you want, I want you to always feel like you can tell me those things. I'm of course never going to judge you. <laughs> no, and that's right. And I feel like having you in my life, having caregiver support in my life the last nine years is a hundred percent what has made the difference for me. And um, so if you can be that person, even if it's, you know, just here and there, you can be that person for another caregiver, then do it. Send them a message, send them a message just today that's like, I'm here if you need me. And sometimes, right, and sometimes that's just the help that you need, right? Because people, yeah. people want to know how to help. And, and um, you know, and I, I feel the same for you. You have a lot on your plate all of the time. It never changes. It, and it doesn't ever get less. It usually gets more. That's the reality of our life. And so, and the reality of many of our caregivers' lives. And um, we try to be that for each other. You know, are we perfect in that way? No, but I think we do a pretty good job of it because we know that for the most part we can't help. And I have had people say that to me, how can I help you? And when I honestly say to you, I don't need any help in the way somebody wants to give me the help. I want you to hear that message. And so you, we don't do that to each other. And that's the beauty of finding somebody who can be really present in your life and know that that's, that's helping. Yeah, because there isn't, I can't shoulder the things that you need to do. And, but I can listen and I can send you emojis. <laughs> and I can, you know, they're not always the nice emojis. Yesterday I sent you the new one with the googly eyes and the squiggly mouth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so sometimes that's just all that it takes. And and I think we as people tend to be reluctant about sending those messages. We're like, oh, I don't want to bother, you know. And um, so when you send a message to somebody you care about that says, I'm here for you, you're giving them permission you're giving them permission to say thanks because I need that because today sucks and tomorrow is might suck too. It might be worse than today. So thank you. And it's really just opening up a door and leaving it open. So find your person, find, find a person or a couple of people that you can just be you and, and you can share with and let it go. If you, if you haven't found anybody yet, I'm sure that you will go to a support group. You can usually find somebody in a support group that thinks a lot like you do. 100%. Find one of those online peer networks. We refer to them all the time on the show. We share links on the Facebook page. And uh, and just start being part of the conversation, and you will make connections. Absolutely. All right, Jen. So this was, a, this was really a fruitful podcast for us today. I'm glad you were able to join us. Don't worry about signing on late. You're, you're fine. I left one early. You came in late one. So we're kind of, we're even now. <laughs> yeah, I would absolutely love to blame. Well, I guess I can blame being six months pregnant. It's, you know, my mind is a little bit all over the place. It's, it's always, it's the one too many things, but you're just fine. Thank you, Mayor. All right. Till the next time. Till next time. I love Naomi so, so much.